Hi, I'm Rosemary Connolly, and you're watching the Disruptive Entrepreneur Podcast. Oops, not like that. There we go. <laughs> Welcome to the Disruptive Entrepreneur Podcast. What does the word disruptive mean to you? It means going beyond the ordinary, going beyond the status quo. Not thinking in the conventional way, not just sort of following the herd. Disruptive means taking things up, you know? Disruptive entrepreneur is somebody who sees the problem and embraces the problem with a new way. Shake up and awakening. Quality will take care of itself and you'll go from being disruptive but also profitable. When you use your reservoir of talent, when you love what you do, then you disrupt. Mix it up, change it up and dominate. And now, your host, eight times best-selling author and double world record holder, Rob Moore. Hi, it's Rob Moore here and welcome to The Disruptive Entrepreneur. So I am in the living room of someone very special indeed. Uh, she has a CBE. She has the freedom of her city. Right there is a big red book. This is your life. Uh, and she is Rosemary Conley. So you're about to see an interview with her in her living room where we discuss, I think she's done 37 books, vast amounts of audio programs in the big three of Slimming, Slimming World, Weight Watchers and Rosemary Connolly. And we go through a whole journey of her life, her career, the ups and the downs. Um, she's done some amazing things. And I think you're going to love the interview with Rosemary Connolly, CBE. She's been listening to Chris Evans. He's done this <clears throat> run fest for the first time over the week. How he gets his energy is beyond me. Yeah, he's great. Unbelievable. Yeah. I mean, they all went over to Monaco to do this and the prize and what have you, and they were there, and then they did um, their big children in need thing at Tewton Glen over the weekend. This is not last weekend, the weekend before. And then they've just gone on to do Run Fest Run, which is the first time. 6,000 people there. Wow. You know, all in their children in. Comes in, been working every day. I do not know how he must be on something that's <laughs> way beyond most of it. <laughs> Maybe just I think when you love what you do, that gives you a lot of energy. Yes. Yeah. And and also you think I think do think I mean he's what fifty two. I do think in your early fifties, late forties, early fifties, you're at your prime because you've had quite a lot of experience. Yeah. And. You know yourself. Yeah. You've got your conf if you've been successful, you've got your confidence, and you've got the energy. Yeah, Mum said that to me. My mum, she said, you know, she found her twenties hard because she never really knew who she was. Because I've I just turned yeah. forty this year, so I think she there was sort of can. lining me up to say, "Hey, look, yeah. your forties will be the best decade of your life." That's when I started. I yeah. was thirty-nine. I mean, I, I started when I was twenty-five, obviously, but right. um, but in my forties, that's when it all kicked off. Mm. Unbelievable. Yeah. Good. So you like Bang & Olufsen as well. I love Bang & Olufsen. Yeah. Well, it was here, to be honest. We've only lived here three years. Oh, right. Oh, and it all just came with the house. We, yeah, we just, when we came around, you see that house over there? Yeah. That's where we used to live. Oh, right. Um, and somebody came along and made us an offer. That on was that house? Bonkers. And on that basis, we then... Set about finding way. We came in here. Of course, you have a house like that. It's got 36 rooms. Every room was decorated and furnished according to that house. Mm. Wouldn't fit in here at all. No. It's a stately home. This is yeah. modern. And so we came in here and I thought, do you know what? 
I quite like what they've got here. We've had new curtains, carpets, this sort of thing. Yeah. But the furniture, we said, can we buy your furniture? <clears throat> so that's what we did. Yeah. Can you imagine what that yeah. would cost? <sighs> yeah. Grand piano. I mean, we wow, had a... yeah. It clapped out one of the manor, because you'd... In somewhere like that, you just need stuff. Mm. We brought some nice pieces with us, but yeah. but most of it um, we left behind. Mm. We we left seven beds made up for them. Oh wow! <laughs> because yeah, uh, you don't really think about moving from a thirty-six no. bedroom stately home and well, not thirty-six bedrooms. Yeah, it was ten yeah. bedrooms. Yeah, um, but uh, this has got six. But it's you yeah. know, uh, yeah. And you just think, so in the end, because they paid so handsomely for it, I said, mm. we'll leave you the furniture. Surely there comes a time as well where, do you really need that much space? No. Well, no, and the funny thing was, he looked at it six months before, and we said, absolutely not interested in selling it. He made us an offer, no, go away. Um, and that was the end of it. Yeah. And then he came back six months later um, just as we had done, we bought it two years after we'd seen it, 20-odd mm. years ago. Um, he'd looked at loads of other houses. And yeah. you, there's nothing as... That is such a pretty house. Yeah. Um, anyway, uh, and so then it, it, the week that he rang to say, can you come and have another look? Mike's mum, who'd been living with us, and we'd been looking after for eight years, died. Mm. So suddenly it was just Mike and me again. Yeah. And you just think, you know, suddenly I was approaching 70. I, I, we didn't need it anymore. No. So, uh, and the business gone down. Yeah. You know, and, all, and we could afford to stay there. But it's great having a pile when you've got a very successful business. It's not quite as comfortable mm. when your business has gone down. Yeah. Is there anything you particularly want to and or don't want to cover. I mean, most people say they don't mind being asked anything, but I'm not like a journalist or anything no, like no, that. No, no, um, uh, no. No, it's fine. It, no, it's absolutely not a problem. Okay. Um, so I'll turn it off. I'll yeah, likewise. Off. Um, Harry, did you get the updated questions? I collated them. So I always do it, do it to your last minute, don't I? I was doing, I was doing it in the car. Is, <laughs> is there an email on this iPad? <laughs> well, Rosemary, thanks a lot for doing the podcast. It's a pleasure. And thanks for bringing us to your lovely home. Oh, thank you. It's, uh, you've come at the best time of the year because it's uh, springtime and the garden is magnificent at this time of the year. I think it's the longest drive <laughs> down a drive I've ever had in my life. <laughs> Full-time gardeners here as well. And... <laughs> yeah, we, we, need, uh, we do need that. Yeah. Um, it's, uh, it's, it's very beautiful. And I think it's the first time I've ever had a... Well, we, my husband and I live here, um, we've had a garden that I just go around every day admiring and talking to the plants, doing a bit of a <laughs> Prince Charles, um, because they're just so beautiful. And I think about 20 years ago, the people who moved in here, their gardener completely landscaped it. And he must have been a genius because the way he's put it all together is just beautiful and it's good for the soul. Mm. Do you think being around this much open greenery and land, do you, do you think it affects you in a good way? Very much so. Yeah. I, I don't think we've ever not gone on holiday um, as much as we do now because we've, we just love being here. Mm. And so that's nice. Mm. So we were talking before the cameras went on and you said you've pretty much been in business now 
50 years. Well, in, in 2021, I will have been in business. That'll be my 50th year of starting my business. Am I allowed to say I wasn't <laughs> even born when you started? <laughs> sure you weren't. <laughs> I was amazed that you'd even heard of me. Yeah, yeah. well, my mum did your programme. Yeah. yeah, well, it's one of those things that... Um, Oh, and now reaching the stage where people say, oh, my grandma's got your videos, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> which is really rather lovely. But the nice thing is that those videos and those diet books, people still remember or use them mm. fondly, um, and they were very effective for them. So it's very exciting. But it was very different at the beginning mm. um, because uh, if I sort of start right at the very beginning, uh, I left school just before my 15th birthday. Um, no exam results, nothing. I didn't take any, you know, I failed my 11 plus. But yeah. uh, so I, I left, went to secretarial college for 12 months. And then I w got a job, uh, five pounds a week was my, were my wages. I gave two pounds to my mother. I had three pounds to live on, if you like. Um, and then I became a Tupperware lady later on in my sort of 20s. And I quite enjoyed that because uh, even though Tupperware isn't sold in the UK anymore, it is something that I still have some Tupperware in my cupboards. Well, the word's still used, isn't it? It, it? is. And it's like a plastic container. That's what it, everyone calls it. It's like a generic term mm. now, which is quite interesting, isn't it? Um, and I learned that I was happier to stand in front of people. And I was quite successful at it. I could sell. I did a Cordon Bleu cookery course when I was first married to my first husband. I was 21. Um, and I learned this, this uh, Cordon Bleu cookery course came out in weekly parts. And I did it very seriously and really learned how to cook. And then having produced all these gorgeous foods, I then took them out with my Tupperware so that there was stuff in the containers. And people loved that. And they would, they bought it, uh, and, and, you know, very successfully. And I became a manager in six months, six weeks, six weeks. Wow. Um, and that meant, it's quite funny when you're back, I was then given a car. So I was given a, an Avenger car, where it don't even happen these days. Um, and as a manager, I just had to recruit new dealers and what have you. And I was quite good at that. And so all of this, I, I sort of felt, well, if I could train, if I could sort of teach people how to be dealers, and if I could sell plastic containers that people didn't really want, they were overpriced, um, I could certainly sell slimming and I did slimming and good grooming when I was fairly young, but probably about 18, I went on a good grooming course. <clears throat> that gave me a lot of confidence. I learned how to use makeup. I mean, these days, people, young people go onto YouTube and, and learn they look like models when they're sort of 17. But in my day, that didn't happen. Um, it was a bit of lipstick and a bit of powder, and that was your lot. Mm. Um, but it was fascinating to learn how to make the most of yourself. And so I put, along with the Cordon Bleu cookery course, which I did, I made all this wonderful food. I then ate it, and I put on two and a half stone, uh, which was... <laughs> You've got to try your own stuff, haven't you? That's what they say. Sell something you believe in yourself. It was quite funny, actually, because my mother wasn't a great cook, and so I suppose I'd been brought up with food not being that important, and suddenly I found this gorgeous food and I just couldn't stop eating it. Mm. Um, and so anyway, the weight piled on and then my confidence dropped, et cetera, et cetera. I le learned how to lose weight, learned about calories, learned about slimming. Um, and then I decided that I would 
um, start classes with my uh, local neighbours. So my neighbours came into my house and they, on a Monday evening, would sit round the table and I designed a diet for them of 1,400 calories a day. And in six weeks, they'd all lost a stone. And that was basically the start of my business. And that was 1971. Wow. So I'd love to come to that in a moment. Um, what's interesting is I get, we were talking about this as well before we put the cameras on about, you asked me why I do this. And I get to meet lots of really inspiring, interesting, different, unique, experienced people, which I love. And I think I'm always looking for what are the ingredients of success. And one of them, I think there's maybe a bit of a, a paradox that a lot of people don't understand is when people say, oh, I've got not many grades and you know, haven't really got any qualifications or might bring was quite hard. Actually, that's a common factor in successful people. Um, so you sold early and sounds like you could sell well early. Is that something you learned? Was that just from your upbringing? Because being a, a business person, you've got to be able to sell. And it sounds like you had it even without qualifications. Yeah, it's a funny thing. Um, my father was a salesman. And so I, so I suppose I was brought up in that. My mother as well, she was quite entrepreneurial. So I was brought up with that. She invented um, what was called a beauty cap. And in those days, <laughs> we're talking the 50s here. She created a nylon ruched cap that women would go to bed in their curlers and put this cap around and tie it at the front um, and make them look more glamorous in bed with their colours in. <laughs> um, and she blooming well made this, designed it, got the local farmers' wives to make it because um, she was part of the WI and they were. Um, and then she sold it to Harrods. She went down Harrods, sold it to them. And, and my friend and I, Elizabeth, and, and myself would pack these and got three old pence per dozen wow. of packing them. Um, and that and that was that. So I sort of I, if you like, I was I was introduced to that kind of entrepreneurial flair at that stage. But one thing that I think is very important to my story is that I was actually very poorly as a child. They didn't expect me to live beyond ten years old. Um, I had asthma, um, very bad asthma. I went to South Africa when I was eight. I went to hospital when I was eight, three months. Um, and and then amazingly, somehow, I survived and then found a zest for life and interests. And asthma very much became in the background. I still have it. I have four inhalers. Um, and yet it seems ironic that God took this person, this weakly child, um, a weakling of a child who was going to die and made them into a diet fitness guru which is just hilarious so uh so that's quite funny but anyway i think that's where the sort of flair came from mm. from my parents probably that's another common thing though i think a lot of people it's like your weakness is your strength mm -hmm. uh, and i think there are a lot of people who have had difficulties or challenges uh, and they've used that to change the world i suppose or to i i think that if you've had it all too easy, mm. then it all comes a bit of a shock when things don't go quite to plan. When you've had it fairly tough, then it makes you into a fighter. Mm. And I think when you're a fighter, then you're not 
you have much more confidence and you're not knocked down as easily mm. and you're braver. Yeah. I think that's that's one of the reasons. So when it, we then started with, um, with my six neighbours and they lost weight and we thought, right, let's go to the village hall. So um, I was working as a secretary at the time um, and um, I went back to being a secretary after Tupperware. And then I decided to have these 30 posters printed. Now, these 30 posters, I mean, they were gross. They were bright yellow and black print, badly done. It cost me £8. Now, that in 1971 was a lot of money. You know, it's probably, I don't know, like £100 for 30 posters now. I mean, ridiculous amount. And so anyway, off we went and put them around our village. And on the first night, we had um, 29 people join. I put 30 posters up. Wow, that's so a good that conversion rate. You don't get that anymore. <laughs> so it was very exciting. The village mm. hall and they all came along and they loved it because there was Weight Watchers out there. There was Slimming World already out there. But we were offering something different. It was Slimming and Good Grooming. Were they the other two of the big three yes. that people say? Yeah, yeah, exactly. And so... Uh, Anyway, we started, they came and more people came. And after six months, I gave up my job as a secretary and then started my classes around Leicestershire mm. and took on extra people to run those classes. So by the time I got to, um, I obviously gave up my job. Um, and by the time I got to about 1981, I'd got 50 classes running in Leicestershire every week. Wow. Um, and then I was approached by IPC magazines to run classes for them nationally. They had a magazine, IBC run, um, they, they published Woman's Own, Woman and Home, or oh, vast, vast stable of, of titles. And um, they had one called Successful Slimming. And they wanted clubs to go with their magazine. And so they, uh, they wanted, they approached me and said, we'd like to buy your clubs. Um, we'd like you to run it. And I said, well, I'm happy to do it nationally, but I'm not prepared to sell you my clubs in Leicestershire because they're mine. And so after much, much resistance, they gave in and said, OK. And um, so that's what we did. But six months later, I said, OK, you can you can buy them. Um, and this is the price. And it was 52000 um, which is quite a lot of money in those days. You buy 100% of the company? Uh, yes. Yeah. yeah, I sold it to them. Um, and they kept me on as managing director. I negotiated a five-year deal um, and they paid me a good salary, gave me a company car. It was all very exciting. Um, and so then we uh, there started a new adventure. It was not a terribly pleasant adventure because being owned by a big national multinational company was not fun. Um, and I swore I would never be owned by a whole mm. company again. Well, it wasn't fun because we've been approached a few times to sell or, or sell equity. I'm pretty clear I don't want to do it, but my business partner's a bit softer on it. Um, what were the downsides? I think in your case, it's very different from how it was in my case. Um, first of all, I had no experience with that sort of thing, and I just saw it as, wow, what an opportunity. Mm. And uh, and it was for the first time in my life I felt important, um, and I was I think my pride and ego 
got the better of me, to be honest. Um, also, my marriage was going through a really bad time. Um, and so when the when they offered this money, it actually gave me an opportunity for my husband and I to part company totally amicably. Um, and I was able to buy a house with what I uh, sold the business for. He was able to stay in the family home. Um, and and we we stayed friends forever until very sadly he died three years ago. Um, but it was you know so it, it gave me that it gave me that opportunity which which I don't I don't regret. But we can mm. come back to the other business later on. Um, and then the classes were run over the country. But then of course the miners' strike hit, and the whole country went into depression in the, in the early seventies. Um, sorry, the early eighties, I should say. And it became very, very difficult. We just weren't making enough money. Mm. And it wasn't IPC's fault, the fact that they got fed up with the fact it wasn't making enough money, but it wasn't. Mm. I was put my, I'd put myself into a job that I was way underqualified for. Mm. I must have been bonkers to think that I could do that job. And I tried to do everything myself. I was working 80 hours a week. It was crazy. Mm. <clears throat> but at the end of it, they closed it down in 1985. Um, they closed it down. Um, I was still under contract, so I got m- enough money to keep me going. And then I went freelance, um, which was just bliss. But do you know what? It took me five years to get over it because when something is so tough and they were, I mean, there were some lovely people in there, don't get me wrong, but there were, you know, there was my boss particularly. He was the chairman of my particular company. He was, he was not the most pleasant of people. Um, and it was it was really. So did hard. it feel like you weren't running your own business anymore? You were oh. kind of just had a job. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and it, it, I, it was like I was trying to make something work that wouldn't work. Yeah. And so I was on a hiding to nothing. Um, and did it you was have just, much autonomy or control, or had that all gone as well? No, I, I didn't really have any control. If they said jump, I had to jump. Mm. Um, and there was one occasion where the only way we could keep a class going was for somebody to go down there and run it. Well, it was on the South Coast. I was in Leicester. I was already working eight hours a week. And I had to go drive down there, run the class, and then drive back. I got back at sort of one o'clock in the morning and go back to work at sort of nine o'clock the next morning. And it was that kind of thing. I did that for about three or four weeks until mm. we found somebody else to take the class. And it was that kind of craziness. But yeah. then you do that. You do that at that stage in your life. Mm. Lessons learned. What were That's the lessons what? learned? Well, the lessons learned are, you know, yes, don't sell all your company. Um, don't jump into something that you are not ready for. Or um, just, just see the money and none of the downsides, yeah. <laughs> and also the fact that, you know, there were so many other things going on in my life. You know, my marriage was failing um, and, you know, it was just tough. It was just tough. But you toughen up from those sort of situations and when you've gone through a really tricky one, then you are stronger coming out the other side. And so I just ran my own classes then for um, uh, quite a while. Um, and then amazingly, so that was 85, 86, it finished. And then I was hit by a gallstone problem. And I suddenly found myself really ill. Now, I'd met somebody else. I didn't. There was nobody else involved when... My first husband and I split up, but I met Mike, who, who I, I'm now married to and have been for 33 years. 
But um, I met Mike uh, some nine months after my husband, my first husband and I split up. Um, And I had my gallstone problem at the same time through all the trauma of breaking with IPC and all of that. That relationship had gone out the window. Um, And so I was now going to have to sell the house. My company car had gone. I'd had a broken marriage. I'd had uh, a broken relationship. And then I was really ill. Gallstone problem in hospital, really, really poorly, didn't know what to do. While I was in hospital, I saw an advertisement for a book called Powerful Living. And it was basically a book, uh, an advertisement um, endorsed by Cliff Richard, Lord Tony Pandy and Gerald Williams, the tennis commentator. And they were basically saying, if you want to find Powerful Living, send for this free book um, and, you know, ask God to come into your life. And so I'd, I'd always been... As a child, I'd been brought up going to church, but I had sort of been detached from it. But then suddenly I thought, well, goodness me, you know, I am here on my knees of my life because I've made such a mess of it. And so I sent for the book and it came back um, about 10 days later. And it was the day that I was going to <clears throat> going into hospital for um, some uh, a cholecystogram to see where my goals stones were and um there I was reading this book and I just felt it was written just for me and it was written in such a sort of easy to read way about Christianity and how if God's in the center of your life just leave everything to him and um and that night I I got home and I read the rest of the book and um there was a prayer in there which I got out of bed and I knelt at the side of the bed and prayed it for all I was worth. And it was just basically saying, I'm really sorry for all the bad things I've done. I've done plenty. <clears throat> Excuse me, my voice. Um, and um, that I really want Jesus to come into my life. And I want to live my life your way, not my way. And that's the principle of it. Got back into bed. I just felt completely washed through. And completely new and revitalised going forward. Um, And I felt as though God was saying, I am now the chairman of your life, just follow me. And this massive surge of confidence came upon me. And the next day, I felt that, in fact, the same night, I felt God say to me, I should marry Mike. So even though we split up, we'd been together for two, three years, split up now. Um, he he said, you should marry Mike. And so I waited till the Friday. We went out for lunch. He, he'd been back to help me while I was so poorly. Um, and we, and, we, and uh, on the Sunday night, he came round um, that weekend after I'd, my conversion, if you like, on the Friday, on the pretext of wanting to see the dogs. And, and I said, and he said how much he was missing me. And I said, I, I'm really missing you too. Um, and we got back together and I said let's go out on um Friday or he might have said that and we went out for dinner and halfway through the dinner I said shall we get married oh you proposed for years people have been asking me where I buy my watches many of you may know I'm a watch collector I'm a watch investor and those as an asset class have done me very well in the last 15 years I have never shared where I source my watches from or my watch dealer until now. 
My watch dealer used to be a professional footballer for Manchester United, and he formed a watch brand called Broadwalk. And he sources the higher-end brands like Rolex, Audemars Piguet, Patek Philippe and Richard Mille. I trust him, I've used him for many years, and recently we've done a partnership. Hence, I'm inviting you, if you want to start investing in watches and protect your money from the banks and inflation, to check out Broadwalk. That's B-R-O-A-D-W-A-L-K. And the website is broadwalkgroup.com. The email is sales at broadwalkgroup.com. And please don't share this, but his number is 07496-878153. Obviously, only message him if you're serious about buying and investing in the higher-end watches. People have been asking me for years, and for the first time ever, you can get access to my watch team. And he said yes. We had been engaged before, but I'd broken it off. Um, and that July, we got married. Mm. Um, and we've been together now for, we've been married 33 years. Um, but the, going back to the gallstone problem, the only way I was to avoid surgery, because I was wrapping up this IPC business, was to go on a low-fat diet. And it had the absolutely transformationary type of effect on my shape. Mm. I just lost my huge jodper thighs, um, only lost six pounds, absolutely transformed my shape by yeah. eating a low-fat diet. And it was from that that I then created the hip and thigh diet because I gave it my people in my classes were saying, what has happened to your body shape? Mm. And so I said, well, I'm on this low-fat diet. I said, well, can we be on it as well? They did it. They lost weight. Unbelievable. Yeah. And uh, and the hip and thigh diet was written. It came out in 1988 and it became a monumental international bestseller, sold two million copies. Wow. Unbelievable. Mm. Did, you, did you have a good deal with your publishers on that? No. No? Well, <laughs> because, I, you know, I, I, had been, I had, it was the fourth book that I'd published. Um, I think my advance was £750. Um, and... But it didn't matter. It didn't matter because... Because of the surely, the yeah, brand, the, the, the reach. The, yeah, the, the numbers involved were just huge. Yeah. It stayed at number one for the whole year. Wow. It stayed in the charts for nine years. Wow. It was just bonkers. Mm. Um, I, I read a second a sequel to it. And then the, 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 um, the publisher was saying, well, what's your next book? What's the next book? Um, and the ser- and they, after the first serialisation, which I sold the serialisation for the first one, um, because uh, interestingly, contact from, from IPC, um, and I said I just need to get serialisation sold. She said, oh, "Well, I'm to somebody at the Sunday Express. Would you like me to introduce you?" Um, and I said, "Yes, great." So he rang, and I said, "I've written this book. This is going to change the eating habits of the nation." Um, and so we were broke. We were absolutely broke because what happens is you have a best-selling book, you don't get any money for 10 months. Mm. Um, and we were really sort of on our uppers. Um, but suddenly they were offering £10,000 for serialisation, which was life-transforming for us. Mm. And, and then people were vying for my next book, my next serialisation rights. And I was just, yep. And it got to the point where by 1993... Mail on Sunday, Sunday Express, both wanted this little book that I was doing as a shape-up for summer. I want, um, they wanted the serialisation so badly. 
I said, look, sealed offers by 12 noon on Thursday um, with your best offer and 12 pages of colour advertising because I've missed a big chunk out here because we started the diet and fitness clubs. But I'll come back to that. It's another mm-hmm. story. Um, and uh, and so then um, they came back with their offers, which I'll tell you later. Yeah. Wow. So I'm tracking this journey. I'm trying to work out, does Rosemary have a grand master plan through all this or does life take her on this journey and she just rolls with the opportunities that come? Which one is it? It, I, it, it rolled with the opportunities that came. Yeah. Because with the... Um, with the hip and thigh diet, it being number one in Australia, New Zealand, South Africa, Canada, I went to all those places on book tour with Mike. Um, and it was just amazing. You suddenly felt, whoa, this is extraordinary. And so we did that for, by the time we got to about 1991, 92, um, it was just unbelievable I couldn't write books quickly enough somebody and then I was asked to do a fitness video um I had my own series on BBC daytime um every week um it was just like everything I went I contacted the BBC and said got an idea for a TV series are you interested well I was everywhere I was in the front covers of magazines I was it was bonkers and so they said yeah come and see us and that I was on air in four months my own series. And were you the sort of person that would just take all these opportunities or select them carefully? I, I, usually I sought them, you know, so I approached the BBC. Yeah. And once I knew that I had a diet that worked, it gave me enormous confidence. Mm. And, of course, I was a fitness teacher. I'd been a fitness teacher for 20 years by this time. Um, and so I was able to stand in front of a camera and teach. It was a bit scary, but, you know, I was able to do that. Um, so in effect, all the skills, even back from doing the Cordon Bleu cookery course, when it came to doing cookery, I could do that. When it came to doing fitness, I'd been doing that for 20 years, I could do that. Uh, when it came to writing, I could do that. And so it all seemed to sort of fall into place like the perfect jigsaw. Mm. And it was such fun. And I was earning so much money. It was extra- You look pretty happy about that. It was extraordinary how suddenly yeah. the tide changed. And how long do you reckon in your business career before the tide changed, you started going, wow, this is really working? Where the hip and thigh diet. And, so, and how long are you in your business journey at that point? Um, by, that, by the time that came out, um, 17 years. Well, so, so they say it, 10 to 20 years to be an overnight success. You're precisely, right. exactly yeah. right. You know, I mean, people will say about an artist that they'll look at a picture and they'll say, How long did it take you to paint that? And how much is it, was it fetched? You know, what price on it? Yes, but they've taken all that experience. The whole to life do that. it took to paint that. Exactly. Yeah. Um, and that was very much you build up your reputation, you build up your brand, you build up your the trust between all the newspapers and your publisher and I always delivered mm. on time, did the best I could. Um, I never, ever wanted to not do my best. Mm. So that was that was really important to me. And then an amazing thing happened. So it got to 1992. I was doing my TV things. And suddenly there was an advertisement for a great big 
country mansion in Quorn, in Leicestershire, at 147 acres, massive Georgian house. And I thought I would really like that. And Am we I were looking at it. <laughs> no, <laughs> no that's not, not that it. one. Oh, right. <laughs> and then, um, so anyway, I managed to persuade Mike to go and have a look at it. And there were about 10 other people viewing it. It was very economically priced at the time. So we went and had a look at it. Um, and as I say, about 10 people before us had been that day. Well, the place was a wreck. Um, and you suddenly realise this is completely impractical. There's no way we'd want to live there. Um, so what was I even thinking of? And so we came away thinking no more about it. Well, anyway, about three months later, it was back in the paper again, price reduced. And I just thought to myself, that house has got my name on it. And I rang the estate agent and I said, I don't know what we're going to use it for. I don't know what we're going to buy it with, but we're going to buy that house. So just bear with me. So, okay, wait and see. A school had been trying to buy it, but that had fallen through. Um, anyway, I thought about it and thought about it. And a whole week of sleepless nights. And then on the Saturday, it's the penny dropped. We would launch Rosemary Conley Diet and Fitness Clubs as a franchise nationally. And that would be our training centre. So the next morning, I woke Mike up. He was about to drive me up to Harrogate to do a TV thing. And, uh, and I said, I think I mapped out our future. And so I told him, he said, wow, that sounds really exciting. Let, tell me all about it as we drive up. And, uh, and we did, and, we, and the fitness trainer who'd been working with us, she'd, she, and we rang her and said, how do you fancy moving up from Basingstoke and coming up to Leicester and doing this? Um, and she was very excited about it. And so to cut a long story short, we did a, um, a bit of a trial. And by the March, April of 1993, we bought Corn House. We launched the clubs. It was a phenomenal success. We sold 67 franchises in the first year. Wow. And it was just bonkers. So exciting. But what we were doing was everything that I, my books, my diets, my fitness videos, all of that was now going out to the people. And every single one of our franchisees was qualified and everybody who worked for them was qualified to cheat exercise to music. Mm. And that was a very high bar for anybody else to meet. Yeah. And nobody else did. And mm. that's what we did. And so then when it came to the serialisation of Shape Up for Summer and the Express and the Mail, that's why I wanted the 12 pages of advertising to launch the clubs. Mm. And the Express came back with a six-figure sum, but they couldn't do the advertising. And the mail came back with slightly less, but with the 12 page of advertising. And that starts it off. Mm -mm. And that, that advert worked, or those adverts worked yeah, well, did they? Absolutely. Yeah. We just put where all the classes were across the country. Yeah. We listed them. It's phenomenal. It flew. Mm. Absolutely flew. And it was the start of a 20-year adventure. Yeah. Yeah. And tell us about that 20-year adventure. Give us the radio version, the radio <laughs> in it, the three-minute song version. Right. The, it, I mean, three years later, we had a magazine. There was a kind of diet fitness magazine that lasted 16 years. And then we had, oh, well, I can't say we had our own TV channel um, towards the end. 
uh, and so many different things, licensing products, unbelievable. It was such an adventure. Yeah. And then t- at the end, uh, when it came to t- no, 2014, uh, well, about 2013, things began to get tricky because the whole world was doing fitness. You could go down to your local leisure centre and get a free class. You could, there was the whole internet thing, of course, mm. completely. I mean, you know, I started, there were no mobile phones, there were yeah. no computers. People do um, workouts just yeah, from just, videos and apps on phones. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, and the whole world just changed. And instead of people queuing up to go to the classes, now the franchisees were saying, you know, we, we, we're just not getting the numbers in. Yeah. And uh, we lost 25% of our franchisees in 2013. Wow. Um, and that was a massive, massive hit mm. for us. And by the end of 2013, so the beginning of 2014, um, it was the yeah, beginning of 2014, we, had, we, we were about to go to press with our next issue of the magazine and we hadn't paid the bill for the last one. And my MD came in and said, we haven't got enough money to pay. And I said, that's it, that's it. We call mm. you today. So it, it literally took a year and then over. Yeah, I mean, yes, it, it, the, the loss of the franchisees and the economic climate and the fact that magazine publishing was doing this, yeah. because we all know that printed media mm. um, is is disaster. Plus, there was the horse meat tr- crisis. We had ready meals. 20% of our sales went for that. It was just like it was meant to all come to an end. Wow. So it was horrible. Yeah. Um, Why was it horrible? Because, well, because, you know, people... You you have creditors. You can't pay everybody. You it, it, people got nasty. Staff got nasty. You know, and you think, oh come on, we are a family. Mm. This is really hard. We we put all our available money in to prop it up, and then you just have to say, that's it. Mm. That's it. So that was that. Looking back, because it's easier looking back. Is there anything you could have done differently to maybe predict the signs, pivot? change your business model or do you just think no that was meant to be that was a chapter of the life that we move on from i don't know what we could have done differently no to be honest i really don't um you know yes the 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 tv channel was an expense we didn't it didn't earn money i mean that was an unfortunate one because when we first launched it we were told by the advertising agency fox that oh yes we you only need to get you know if you get a hundred thousand viewers then you'll be able to earn really good money. By the time we did get 100,000, oh, you need, you need a million. Oh. So we were getting advertisements for Mercedes on our site and we're getting like 30p. It was ridiculous. Wow. And so it was that just didn't work, yeah. sadly. TV channels um, are really expensive. They are they? really expensive. Yeah. Um, and it was, it was a great idea. We loved doing it. The members loved it. The franchisees loved it. We, we got... A great archive from it, which is for sure. Um, but sadly, it just didn't. And was that quite a drain on the cash flow of the business then? Well, yes, it was. But without a doubt, it was. But you sort of do things because you think, well, this is all part of our USP. Mm. You know, so that was that was what it was. Mm. So when he went into administration, then, of course, we were meeting with people who were interested in buying it. Our administrator was great. He was very kind. He understood. He he was empathetic. He could see what sort of business we were. 
And uh, some of the clubs, the, the, the franchisee was given, right, you can go off and do it on your own with no restrictions whatsoever. You can't use my name, but you can go off and do your own thing, keep all your money. And for many of them, that was great because yeah. they didn't have to pay us anymore. They'd already established their business. That was fantastic for them. Some of them wanted to be part of a group. So a company came in and took those away. And then um, another company came in and bought the online business. Rosemary McConley Online had been there for 10 years or so. They bought that plus the archive of the magazine and the, mm. and the TV. Um, and they also took me on. And right. so uh, there was me, one of our franchisees, who was a consultant, Sarah Skelton. She came on board and we together with two completely new people. It was like an arranged marriage of four people. But we all got on really, really well. Mm. And uh, and that company still runs today. Um, and we have loved that adventure. Mm. But then new adventures come along and, and that's exciting too. Mm. What's it like selling, essentially, your own name? You're almost like selling your own name. Yeah, if there was one mistake I made, and the administrator told me this afterwards, he said the one mistake you made was the fact that the company owned your name. You said you should have licensed your name yeah. to the company. Right. Um, because I had, so yes, I had to sell my name. But the contract of um, negotiation was very interesting because I had to, in effect, I am free to go and do what I want as long as I'm not in competition. So that's fine. So mm. I can't run an online weight loss club for instance, yeah. that suits me fine because mm. as far as that is concerned, there are better people to do that who are more techie and, and so on. Yeah. And if you like, I've now reached a point in my life, I'm 72 now, that I actually want to change my career slightly. I still contribute to the online site. I do motivational minutes and every day um, and other stuff that we do. Um, but... I also um, really, I want, I, I feel I want to sort of help older people like myself to stay healthy, to make the most of themselves, to enjoy getting older, mm. to not be frightened of getting older, uh, and to maximize their youth for as long as possible. And amazingly, an opportunity came along 18 months ago where, got it here, um, I've been using this gadget. This is an ex facial exercising gadget it's called a facial facial flex um and you stick it in your mouth like this oops not like that there we go <laughs> and basically it exercises 30 muscles from here to here right um and it was designed by a cosmetic surgeon who was giving he'd given skin grafts to burns victims facial burns victims um, and he wanted to get their muscles in their face working. Mm. And so he devised this device to get them to work. And in a month, they all started looking younger. Yeah. So their, um, their necks got firmer, their double chins receded. <coughs> Excuse me. And their jowls lifted, et cetera, et cetera. And so he thought, wow, I think there's a commercial opportunity here. Well, I'd be, I was sent one in 19, early 90s. Um, and I, as you get older, you suddenly think, well, I think I'll use that now. Um, and so I was using it every day. And then about two years ago, 18 months ago, there was a feature in the Times 
that was, uh, it's going to be two years now, uh, there was a feature in the Times where the it journalist was somewhat complimentary um, to how I looked. Um, and I s- said, I use this gadget. Um, and anyway, that just took off and we sold so many facial flex. And we sold it through online, you see. And this we was, still do. This was um, post the administration. This is your new business Yeah, this, model, this was all yeah. part of online. Yeah. So online sales just went crazy um, um, for Rosemary Online. And then um, when the guy in Belgium who we bought it off retired, he rang me 18 months ago personally and said, I would like to give you, not the company, I'd like to give you the administra- the, um, the opportunity, the d- distributorship of the Facial Flex. And then you can supply Resume Online, you can supply, sell it on, in your own right, etc. Um, and that's what we did. Mm. So Facial Toning Solutions Limited is... My company, my husband and my company, and we sell these nationally. We supply Rosemary Online. We sell it through eBay. We sell it through Amazon, Amazon Prime. Mm. Um, and uh, only recently we've had another article that went into the Telegraph, Saturday Telegraph magazine. Um, and again, it just went boom. Uh, it works. It's, it's, it's non-surgical. It's natural. It's 100% natural. Um, and it does help to hold one's face together. Ah. Same principles going to the gym. Yeah. You know, so work your muscles. Exercising, but for your face. Absolutely. Yeah. No one yeah. really thinks of exercising their face, do no. they? No. No. I mean, there, there have been other methods, but nothing is, this is resistance exercising. Mm. You see, this isn't just about doing certain facial expressions. Yeah. Uh, this actually works the muscles. So it plumps up above the lip. It plumps up. It sort of lifts. It's the scaffolding underneath the skin. Mm. So um, yeah, so it works. Mm. And that is now your current business. That's what you're well, doing. I mean, time, I, obviously, Rosemary Online is is very that's the most important. Yeah. Um, but Facial Flex is is a sort of a sideline, so to speak, mm. um, which is fun. Yeah. And it's just it's just fun. I mean, it isn't a, a, a you know huge business, but yeah. it's fun. Mm. And I quite like that when you get to this stage of one's life. <laughs> Well, you've got to have fun doing what you love, haven't you? Absolutely. So, yeah. So 50 years, nearly. Nearly. Sorry, I did yes. 40, 48, is it? It's about 48 this year, yeah. What is, I feel privileged to sit here with you as someone who's been in business for so long and nice. ridden the, the, the peaks and the troughs of life, which I guess we're all going to have. So if you could summarise, what are the biggest things you've learned? Um. The biggest thing that I think people buy from people um, because it's all about how you treat people is that will see you so that would. That's what the fundamentals are about, Mm. because even when we went into administration, the newspapers were amazingly kind to me Mm. because they knew me. Mm. They were sad. They were genuinely sad that what had been a fantastic business had not worked in the end and had to close. And that was all to the fact that we'd had a good relationship and always been nice to them. And I think if you're nice to people, mm. people will be nice to you. So I think that's the first thing you learn. Second thing that you learn is always try and deliver. Deliver on your promises because if you can do that, you know, if you're going to say you're going to deliver something on time, then do it. If you're going to 
say you'll do something, do it. You know, I think all of those things are really important. Mm. So uh, I think treat other people as you'd wish to be treated yourself. Right. Thank you very much. Okay. <laughs> um, I believe, let, let me just check I've got this right. Your brand was one of the big three in the yep. sl slimming, yep. fitness, um, health. So there was Weight Watchers, mm -hmm. Slimming World. Yep. And your brand, Rosemary Connolly. Yeah, Rosemary Connolly Diet and Fitness Clubs. Yeah. Yeah. So that's amazing to be in the top three brands. I mean, if you're in the top three brands in, I don't know, the soft drinks and your Coke, Pepsi. And, yeah, yeah. So that's, no. that's amazing because yeah. it is a huge industry. Um, what do you think made your brand unique, maybe compared to the other two, and that got you to be one of the top three biggest brands in, in that whole space? I think that it was the fact that we did diet and fitness and there was a brand behind it. You know, I'd got a pedigree as far as, you know, my books had been revolutionary. They had been life transforming for so many people. People, I'd been sort of very privileged to be um, invited into people's homes on a daily basis to work out with them. Mm. So there was, a, there was a, a name and a brand and people knew me, hopefully liked me, otherwise they wouldn't have been working out with me, um, and trusted me. And all of those things was a big, big plus factor. Yeah. So when we launched Diet and Fitness Clubs, I know that the others were anxious and Weight Watchers did try to do fitness, but it just didn't work. Um, and it was, it was of its time. And I remember um, Anne Widdicombe saying, in a feature about it after we'd gone into administration, nothing lasts forever. You know, she did very well. She had a great time doing it. Nothing lasts forever. Um, and I think that is very valid. And I think actually it was meant to be. I think that's, and I've had such a ball doing it. But also there were other exciting things that I haven't mentioned. Um, one was the fact that I was on Dancing on Ice in 2012. I've got a little question about that. Yeah. <laughs> There's also some big red book there. Oh, yeah, that was, yeah. That was, that was good fun. Harry, you'd have to, are we allowed a quick cutaway of that? Yeah, sure. Well, whenever yeah, you're ready, Harry, yeah, yeah. but that's a, amazing as well. That was fantastic. That was 2001 or two, something like that. Yeah. Um, but that was, that was amazing and fantastic. Um, so, yeah, how was Dancing on Ice? Because that's a question I've got. Right, Dancing on Ice. Um, I was asked to audition about 2006, five, six, something like that. Um, and I'd never ice skated in my life. I used to skate in my socks on a wooden floor when I was a kid, um, but never had any skates on my feet. And so I thought, oh, yes, let's go and do this. So anyway, I went and had, I was in my 60s then, I just, yeah. Um, and I'd gone to Nottingham to have a, a lesson or two before the audition. I was absolutely hopeless, absolutely beyond hopeless. Anyway, I didn't get through the audition. Then I auditioned again. Then Universal um, Studios came to me to headhunt me from um, the BBC um, for, for doing videos and they were paying me a bucket load of money excuse me <coughs> they were paying me a 
bucket load of money to go and do three videos. And I thought, do you know what? I can't take the risk here. So I signed the contract, didn't skate for the three years and then went back to it. Mm. Uh, in fact, the week after I'd recorded my last video, I was back on the ice having lessons and I still wasn't very good. And I auditioned again and again. Three times, no. And then Dr. Henry Jones, who I knew well because he'd, we'd interviewed him and we'd become friends um, because of our magazine, our magazine and also our TV channel, etc. So he was on. And I said, anybody else, Hillary? And I'd have been so jealous. I said, I so want to do it. So anyway, the next time he came up to Cornhouse, um, he said, right, and I said, this is a DVD of what I can do. And he said, send your DVD, write Christopher Dean and Jane Torville and tell them how much you want to do it. And I never gave up. And I suddenly got a phone call in September 2011 to say, you're in. And it was just like the best news I've <laughs> ever had in my life. It was just extraordinary. Um, business news. I mean, I'll talk about having find you pregnant and that sort of thing. That was very exciting. Mm. Um, but it was just phenomenal to go and um, and then I couldn't believe I didn't believe it because you have business in in life. You have disappointment. You think things are going to happen, and at the last minute they don't. I've been I've been on TV programs. I've got up at quarter to five in the morning, travelled down so and so to go on a TV, and not got on. So that's what. Life is like that sometimes. I didn't believe I was on Dancing on Ice until the second I skated on the day. Because mm. if I'd broken my ankle at lunchtime that day, I wouldn't have been on. Mm. So suddenly I was on and it was for real. And it was phenomenal. It was beyond my wildest dreams. It was like waking up in heaven. I had the most fabulous, gorgeous... Um, skating partner 37 years younger than me beautiful person inside and out yeah. no, no, yeah. no my husband's no, no, yeah, yes it's fine um and in fact i'm skating with him today oh okay. wow yeah we, 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 we're such good mates mm. um and um i still skate with him we're filming this time next week we'll be filming um a little film that i want to do and um I had the time of my life mm. during that six months. And it was during that time that my marketing director asked if he could be managing director, uh, which I was happy for him to do. Um, so I'd lost, I wasn't now in control of the business. Well, I was because of Mike and I were the owners of it, but nevertheless, I wasn't in charge of the day-to-day -day stuff. Um, and I think the dynamics changed within the business, to be honest, uh, during that time. Um, and then I came back six months later and carried on. But I was getting older. I was 65 when I did Dancing on Ice. Um, and it was one of those things where maybe it's time that I step back a bit. Mm. Um, and then within a year, it was we were in administration. So mm. you, I, it wasn't anybody's fault. It was just one of those things. Yeah. Um, but the other thing that I did that was incredibly exciting was I'm patron of a charity called STEPS, STEPS Conductive Education Centre. Children with cerebral palsy, Down syndrome, <clears throat> they go there from birth to five years old. Um, and this conductive education transforms these children's lives because children, it all started, um, STEPS started because of 
my vicar's grandson was born with cerebral palsy. And his parents were told he wouldn't even be able to turn over in bed. Well, now his name is Sean. Now Sean is, I think, 28. He's been to Brooksby College. Um, He's able to speak. He's able to feed himself. He's able to walk. Yeah, okay, he's not able to work, but he has a quality of life. Um, And that was because of conductive education. And his parents and grandparents and other families decided, let's create a Peto Institute, Peto in Hungary, um, Institute over here, equivalent of. Um, and uh, they asked me if I'd be patron of it. And we had different locations where steps was held. A room in a school, no, sorry, you've got to move. A room in another school, sorry, you've got to move, etc. So by the time we lost four locations for steps, we then said, this is, we've got to get a building. So we set about set, um, raising funds to buy a building. Um, and we found a building, an old school, and everybody was happy. The church owned it. We could have it. It didn't matter how long it took us to raise the money. We'd raised 90000 It was 235000 And then suddenly the vicar came to see me and said, I'm sorry, but you can't have it anymore. I said, you can't do that. So I just burst into floods of tears. I said, we've raised 90000 Yes, but you've not got your lottery funding. You're never going to be able to raise the money. We're going to sell it for building. And I said, you can't do this. I said, look, give us till, this is March 2006. Give us till Christmas this year. If we haven't raised the money, we'll pay you double the rent. And if we have raised the money, we're good to go. So she said, okay, but the price has gone up to 250,000. 250, OK, fine. So we set about raising the funds. I had a Bentley. I raffled it. It was relatively old um, and worth about 8,000. I raffled it, pound a ticket, nothing, no other prizes, raised 26,000. Wow. <laughs> we did a big sponsored walk in our local park, raised 23,000. Various donation here, donation there. By the time we got to Christmas 2006, we'd raised 280,000. We drew the raffle on telly. Central TV said, why don't you do a makeover and we'll follow it on, on the news. And uh, so it, like challenge Annika type of thing. And we said, absolutely, let's do it. So the next year, my um, friend and now chairman of the trustees, Mark, um, John Montague, um, and the architect, Mark Jeremy, they and I put together the plan and in two two-week periods, we had the TV cameras there and 130 companies gave us over half a million pounds worth of goods and services to transform and renovate the whole school. Wow. And if there's one thing, what's the best thing that ever happened in my life, in my whole career, whatever, the most satisfying, that was it. Mm. That was fun. I was cooking for everybody. I blagged all the food. I had this mobile kitchen. Got all the food from, you know, Tesco everywhere gave it to us. Um, And I think all the builders put weight on because they were eating so well, breakfast, lunch, dinner. Um, It was just fab. I Mm. absolutely loved it. Mm. So those are the two very exciting things that happened. Wow. Yes. So I'm picking up a theme here, Rosemary. Um, you said earlier, fighter, it doesn't seem like you take no for an answer. When people turn you down, reject you, or you can't get on a show or whatever, 
doesn't sound like you're very good at giving up. I would never give up. I think it's one of those <clears throat> characteristics you either have or you don't, but I think you can learn it. Mm. Do you ever doubt um, yourself? Oh, yeah, of course. I think we all do. Um, but I think there was, as far as dancing on ice, was, I, I have a prayer list and I, I have a list. Of, I pray for all sorts of people every morning. Um, and this is, a, this is two sides of A4. It's, you know, this is not a small list, yeah. okay? Um, and I put on it that I wanted to do a dancing on ice. And I said to my, when it, I'd gone through, you know, three turndowns, and I said, I've actually removed it off my list. He said, don't. You really want to do it. Keep it on your list. Mm. And two weeks later, wow. I got the, yeah, it was That's amazing, great. wasn't it? So I think, yeah, I think it's really important that if you have a goal, you don't let go of your dream. Yeah. Because having a dream will drive you forward. Yeah. Don't ever, ever give up. Mm. And no, people... A no now doesn't mean a no forever. And that's the other thing. If you really want to do something, keep persevering. Yeah. And if a door closes, I know it's an old cliche, but if it, you know, it's because there's a better door to open for you mm. somewhere else or a different time. Yeah. Um, and, but you have to be realistic mm. as well. I think all of those things really matter. Yeah. Um, but I'm so blessed. I have the most fabulous family um, I have a wonderfully loving husband. I have a fabulous daughter and grandson. And I am so blessed in my life. And whilst there have been, you know, yes, there have been some tough times, but my goodness me, I'm blessed. And still got a lot of fight in your left, I guess. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. I love my life. You're still and passionate about business and doing everything you're doing? Yes, absolutely. Yeah. And this week even, I've got two days when I'm, I'm, I'm at Ragdale Hall on one day where I'm teaching exercise and teaching uh, You still do that fitness. actively, all your health yeah, and fitness? Yeah. and I still do my two. Uh, tonight I've got two classes. I've yeah. been skating this afternoon and then I'm doing my two classes wow. tonight. Um, that's not normal, I yeah. to add. Um, <laughs> and and how, um, how, forgive me for asking this, but I've got to, because there will be plenty of older listeners. How do you maintain so much health, fitness and energy at your age? Um, I eat healthily. Um, I stay slim because... I want to. I want to stay slim more than I want to have the wrong foods. Mm. So I have my breakfast, lunch and dinner. I don't eat anything in between. Um, I amazingly still have tea in my coffee. Sorry. <laughs> the dog put you read, off. Yeah. The dog put me off. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I still have sugar in my tea. Is that the five-minute warning, is it? <laughs> I still have sugar in my tea. Yeah. But I don't have sugar any other way. No. You know, so I don't have puddings, I don't have biscuits, cakes, that sort of thing. Mm. Um, and so I work quite hard at staying slim. I go to the gym, have a personal trainer. Yeah. I do ballet once a week, personal trainer. Right. Do you um, think having a personal trainer is important? It drives you much harder than <laughs> yeah. just doing it yourself. Oh, yeah. do I enjoy Even the it? trainer yourself needs a personal trainer. The Absolutely. mentor needs a mentor. Absolutely yeah. right. And when I did all of my fitness videos, I did over 30 of them. I had a consultant, Mary Morris, who's a supremo in, in teaching fitness. Mm. She was my fitness consultant for most of them. Um, and she was our head of training for most of the time we had diet and fitness clubs. Yeah. Um, and you always need somebody who has more expertise yes. than you do. Don't think you know everything. Nobody knows everything and nobody is good at everything. Mm. You know, we must recognise our strengths and our weaknesses. 
and I'm president of Young Enterprise. And tomorrow night, I'm going to see a, a, the winners of Leicestershire go to the the area finals, um, regional finals, I beg your pardon, regional finals in Nottingham tomorrow night with the most incredible invention. I love it. And I really hope that they will go to absolutely all the way to the Europeans. They'll win the nationals and then go to the Europeans because this is a life-changing product that they've got. Mm. Um, And I love all that. I love seeing other people coming forward, but I teach them. I teach young when I speak to young enterprise. It is about you know realize your strengths, realize your weaknesses. Don't expect to be good at everything because mm. nobody is. Um, and I certainly know my weaknesses, and yeah. I also know my strengths. What are they? Can you list them out? <laughs> <laughs> We've got to be honest about them. Um, I'm motivated. Yeah. Um, I have energy. I love people. I like motivating people. I'm good at encouraging people. I will always say thank you and I will always say well done and I will never take credit for something I haven't done myself. Um, I will always give glory to the person whose idea it was. Mm. I am very happy speaking in front of a camera. I'm very happy speaking in front of a crowd. Um, Those are my strengths. Mm. I'm confident in that sort of area. Yeah. Um, and I don't think I'm too bad a boss, mm. but I'm sure I have lots of things that really irritate my PA. <laughs> <laughs> but um, but yeah, and and I'm I'm, I'm I'm quite energetic. Yeah, because I'm very happy, and that's the way I am. Mm. Always have been yeah. as a kid. And then you know? the weaknesses, which, by the way, just before you answer this, I think a lot of people look at weaknesses over there, strengths over there. But I think there's a yin yang relationship with strengths and weaknesses. Because let's say you're somewhat of an analytical genius that obviously could have major upsides if you're analyzing deals engineering software but that can make you also that can also be a weakness mm-hmm. so i think a lot of people's strengths and weaknesses are, are sometimes the same thing just the sort mm-hmm. of the polar ends of it but anyway i don't want to take the heat off you what are your weaknesses Rosemary? my weaknesses are as i'm not at all academic um and so which is also your strength <laughs> otherwise you well, wouldn't be here my strength in that is the fact that I'm able to deliver something in a very understandable, mm. non-academic way. Yeah. So in that, it has been a strength, but I'm not academic. I, I'm, I cannot memorise. I can remember, but I can't memorise. Einstein said he just used to get everything out of books. Really? Yes. Yeah, yeah. He, he didn't take claim for memorising anything. No, but if you know, and sometimes you're doing a TV thing and they say, right, this is, we, you need to say this, yeah. like a TV commercial or, or whatever. And, you know, these, this is what you need to say. And you've got to be kidding me. I can't remember that. <laughs> I will not memorise that. Yeah. Um, and uh, I, you know, I can memorise, but I have to do it like 500 times mm. because I had something in my brain not working, I think. And it's always been the same. Yeah. So I can't memorise. Um, I'm a bit impulsive. A bit. <laughs> <laughs> Insofar as I just think, yeah, that's what we're going to yeah. do. And that's both a strength and a weakness, yes. isn't it? Yeah. Yes, it is. And and I will be open when we, I want to call house. Mike, he really, really tested me because he, we looked at another dozen houses before we bought Cornhouse mm. and we had to test it and have the first three franchisees launch and be a massive success before it's okay. Um, and I was able to go, and I'm very, I am very patient. I am a patient person. Mm. Um, but 
controlling, yeah, it's a weakness but a strength. Mm. Because if you're going to run something, you've got to be in control. Mm. Um, and so I think that's a strength and a weakness. Yeah. Um, I, I say I can be impatient. I can be patient. You know, it's, it's weird, isn't mm. it? Yeah, it's all linked. I, I it watched is. recently uh, a Harvard documentary on Alex Ferguson. He talked a lot about control, had to have control. Probably most successful football manager ever. Yeah. yeah. So I guess that could be a, a weakness if you become a bit controlling, but yeah. a strength because you run your ship. I think that I let go of some of the control at the end of the business. And was that good or bad? Bad. Yeah. Yeah. Why did you do it? Because I thought it was the right thing to do. That can't be wrong then, if you thought it was the right thing no. to do. And and I at the end and I still I look back on it five years now, and think it was the right thing to happen. Mm. So who am I to to, to criticise that? Yeah. You know, without a doubt. Mm. Um, so, and I speak. I have an absolute open heart, head. I say it as it is. I'm much too open. <laughs> I tell anybody anything. Yeah. But you could, if you said to me, I'm going to tell you something in absolute confidence, you absolutely would know. I would not tell anybody. Mm. So, yeah. got that too. Okay. So, in a moment, we'll do the quick fire if that's okay. Okay. Yeah, sure. Uh, but that big red book. Oh, yes. So, there aren't that many people I've visited. I pick it up. Yeah, please. And I've visited OBEs, MBEs, all sorts of amazing people. But I think you may be the first on our whole 400 episodes yeah. to have one of these red books. Yeah, well, this is it, and um, it is. You have to wait quite a long time after it to get this. Oh, really? They don't give it to you on the night. No. <laughs> it goes about eight months later. No, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, but it is the most extraordinary thing. So uh, there we are, two thousand and two, third of January, and uh, it was presented to me at our Slimmer of the Year Awards. Was it a complete shock? Absolute total. Yeah, and how did you feel? Extraordinary. Mm. It was that I. It was something that I'd really. It's funny, isn't it? Right at the very beginning, 1971, when I was starting my first classes, and I thought to myself, and I think somebody, obviously I'd had my first classes, had gone well or something, and I thought to myself, wow, maybe one day I'll be famous and I'll be on This Is Your Life. <laughs> isn't that weird? Yeah. You could think something like that. So anyway, it was a complete and utter shock, mm. and it was just extraordinary. And, uh, and so anyway, lots of people that were... Um, you know that my PA, my had PA and a secretary. Yeah. And these were just this guy was the first guy that I went on Radio Nottingham with. Wow. Where I did my trial for. Um, he's a big wig now in in, yeah. in radio, um, and it just made. I mean, it's just fabulous. Mm. So that was that, um, and then I did get a CBE. Yes. And if you pass it to me, it's just on the piano there. Oh, careful, Thank Harry. You. Careful, Harry. <laughs> Next one along. No, no. The, the one in that was freedom yeah. of the city of Leicester. Thank you. I was the first woman to be given the freedom of Leicester. Wow. Yes, that was quite how have, you, how have you used that? You just wander around at night. <laughs> <laughs> you take your sheep down high yeah. street. Um, it was very exciting. Yeah. A bit daunting and extraordinary because the people like Richard Attenborough and David Attenborough, they're, they're previous ones. Right. And it's not, you know, they're not done every year. Anyway, that was CBE, and that was given to me in uh, 2004. Wow. Um, for services to the fitness and diet industries. Ah, so. 
that. So that's uh, that was, ever that worn was quite ex- yeah, yeah, I wear it because I'm a deputy lieutenant as well. Um, and when we there are certain sort of ceremonial occasions where it's appropriate to mm. wear it. For yeah. instance, when I do a citizenship ceremony, mm. um, and uh, you know it's a massive. I've been a deputy lieutenant for twenty years. Yeah. Um, and uh, yeah, so I went through this sort of massive phase of deputy lieutenant ninety nine, um, freedom of the city two thousand and one. This is your life, two thousand two. CB two thousand four. It was just like whoa. Mm. It was just extraordinary. Yeah. Uh, so it was very very lovely. Mm. Um, a massive privilege, and I feel incredibly fortunate. So I've loved what I've done. Mm. What I've done has helped a lot of people. Yeah, I get that. Uh, but I've been the one that's been the the biggest sort of beneficiary insofar as the fulfilment of a dream. Mm. And I'm grateful for that. Right. I praise God for it. Yeah. So should we do the quick fire? Yep. By the way, you can answer them as long as you want or as <laughs> yeah, short as you want. Okay. Um, so best advice you ever received? Um, a no now doesn't mean a no forever. Love it. The worst advice you ever received? You're not going to do that. <laughs> you can't do that. You're never going to manage that. Mm. Is there one thing in the world? That's not really advice, though, is it? Well, I guess it is. Or, you know, that's risky. You can't do that. You shouldn't do that. That's too hard. That's too expensive. Although, I think yes. it, it's, it's that kind of like free, flippant advice from people around yes. you, unsolicited advice. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Great. Love it. All right. Yeah. Okay. Um, is there one thing in the world that you think is really wrong that you would like to see changed? Well, without a doubt, the plastics and the you know and the global warming and, and all of those things we we have actually we have really got to shape up. Mm. We have got to make a difference here. Yeah. And it's somewhat easier for somebody at my time in life to think, well, that's somebody going to be somebody else's problem, but it so isn't. Yeah. And I think God bless um, Richard, David Attenborough. Sorry, David Attenborough. For, because he has, and Prince Charles, I think, because he, in 1973, he recorded about, you know, plastics are bad and they're going to harm the, the planet. Um, and then David Attenborough doing his his films that have people have really taken notice and all the youngsters have really heard it. Mm. And we need to do, we need to do that. Yeah. Take note, mm. take action. Okay, so uh, I don't often ask this question, and it does go around a lot on podcasts, but I'd like to ask it to you because I do think it's relevant. When did you quit that job? You told, you said before, what age were you then? You know, when you quit that job after it's six months in to kind of go on your own for the first time. How old were you then? What, to go on? Right at the start, you were taking us through your journey. Oh, right, and okay. about six months in, you were able to quit your job. Oh, right. That was well, SAG days, slimming and good grooming days. Mm. Yeah. So how old were you? Uh, 25. Okay. So what advice would you give your 25-year-old self if you could go back and have a quick chat, maybe here on the sofa with your 25-year-old <laughs> self? 
follow your dream. Absolutely follow your dream. Mm. Believe in yourself. And you have no idea what you are capable of. If I had known when suddenly hip and thigh took off like it did, that what was going to happen, I wouldn't have believed that. And I honestly believe that if you have faith and have faith in yourself, you can achieve more than you ever, ever dreamed of. You're definitely motivating me when I go back in the car. I'm going to get in the the work on the back. Right, finally then, this podcast. Oh, it's one thing I want to say. Oh, no, please. No, go for it. One thing that my husband said to me, because I've been writing my autobiography and sort of saying things to him about it, and I said, I always believed in myself. He said, that is so important. Mm. He said, not many people do that. And he said, but... To be able to say, I believed in myself, that is critical. So how can someone believe in themselves then? Because like you said, not everyone does. <coughs> and you're saying you need to, it's critical. So how can someone believe in themselves more? Just believe in yourself. I mean, I don't think, and if something comes from within, but you've got to be you, don't try and be somebody else. Mm. We all want to look at motivational gurus and we take on board what they say and we learn from them and we grow from them and we learn but then we're steering that way because that's how we want to be Mm. we want to be more successful we want to be this or that or the other or more we gravitate naturally to those people i think Mm. richard denny was somebody that i was massively respectful yeah i studied a lot of him did you 10 15 years ago selling to win i think he wrote and Yeah. yeah Dare, Dare to be great yeah. was my introduction, and I read, listened to that. It was audio tapes. Um, just in 1988, 89, I'm up in thigh dart. I've just hit the, the headlines, and I happened to meet his first wife um, at somewhere, and she said, well, "I'll send you my husband's tapes." And I read those, and that completely blew me away. Mm. It transformed the way. It just opened my eyes to thinking, "Well, that's how you do it." Yeah. You know, it's about going the further. It's about doing more, giving extra extra service, being nice to people, people buy from people. All of those things I learned from him. Mm. And he became a friend. Yeah. He very sadly died a couple of years ago. Mm. Um, but he was... He yeah, was, it is sad. I interviewed Tony Buzan, who did all the mind mapping, and not long after that he passed away. Did he? Yeah. It's tough, isn't it? Mm. But you Richard, have to live your life, don't you? Yeah. You, yeah. you really do. And Richard, his business had gone down at some point. When he heard that my business had gone down, um, he came. He visited me at home. Right. To beat me up. Mm. Well, it's it's nice when that you know when things are hard. There are people that care. Yeah. Mm. He was amazing. Mm. Really lovely job. Mm. This podcast uh, has a theme of disruptive. And I think you completely disrupted your space, your market, your niche. What does that word mean to you, disruptive? <laughs> it's got the T-shirt oh, there and everything. You go. <laughs> disruptive. Um, well, it makes you think differently, that you think you're on a path down a certain track and then certainly something comes along and it 
challenges you. And I think we need to be challenged. Mm. And whether it be, you know, the vicar coming in telling me that the price had gone up and we were under pressure for steps, etc. And all that did was motivate us to achieve 10 times more than we would have done otherwise. Mm. And so disruption can be very, very positive. Um, and I would see it as that. Mm. Right. You've been lovely. Thanks for inviting us to your home. <laughs> no, you're very um, welcome. We've had a great time. And thanks for doing Good. the podcast. Thank you very much. It's been a pleasure. It really has, Rob. Thank you. My pleasure. If you enjoyed the interview, like and subscribe.